I am Alex Kapranos, and you are listening to the appropriately named Alex Kapranos podcast, where I chat to some of my favorite musicians and artists. Thank you for downloading this episode, in which I had the pleasure of chatting to Jenny Beth. I'm delighted to welcome to the show uh, Jenny Beth. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Hello, Alex. Sadly, you're, you're not in the studio with us today. Uh, are you in Paris just now? I'm actually uh, in the French countryside. <laughs> oh, in uh, like the song, right? Okay. <laughs> yes, like my song. Yeah. Ah, um, so yeah, I've I've been painting walls all morning. So. <laughs> oh my goodness, like... that that sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, that sounds very pastoral, <laughs> very idyllic. Yeah. Um, yes. So, do you do you have a studio down that way as well? I'm building a studio in the in the French countryside. Yeah. That's what I'm in the middle of doing. Whenever I have time, uh, I come here. And it's been a project not for a year and a half. So, but we're almost there. Oh, that's amazing. And do you think you might record your next record down there? Well, the next record is already recorded. So ah, <laughs> maybe the one after can, that. <laughs> ah, can, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about the next record? I Yeah, I mean... Um, it's, I'm still in the process of, it's, it's actually uh, quite, I've been a bit more ambitious. Uh, I, I wrote a, a short film with the record, so it's taking me a while to put all this sort of big project all together. Hopefully, hopefully I will, I will be able to, you know, the full vision will be able to, uh, I'll be able to realize the full vision. It sounds fascinating. Uh, you, you have a film which is going along with the next record. Is, is there a, a narrative that runs through both of them and joins them together? Yes. Um, yes, there is. Um, it's a little bit too early for me to, I think, to share uh, all of that. But I, what I can say is, is that um, I, I've been, for the past two years, uh, living in France, uh, after all these years in, living in London, uh, I've been asked to to act in French movies, and um, and I've done quite a few with directors I really really love, uh, like Jacques Audiard or Serge Bozon, or uh, recently Justine Trier, who is an incredible uh, director, and her film will come out next year, in which I play a part, and um, and all that experience I think. Um, you know, uh, I, I sort of accumulated all that experience and I felt that, uh, you know, cinema and acting has always been one of my passion. Um, my father was a theater director. I kind of grew up in, in, the, in the theater world. Yes. And, um, and so for my next record, I wanted to, to sort of, I, I thought it was the perfect place to, my, for, in my own project to unite all my two passions, basically, or try to, anyway. <laughs> to bring those worlds together. That sounds incredible. Um, it, it, it's interesting you're talking about your, your uh, were both your parents directors or just your father? Just my father. My mother was um, a teacher of economics. Ah, okay. So from that early age, I, I guess you were exposed to the theatre from a very, very early age. Did did you feel that you would always end up on the stage in one form or another? Well, when I was three year, uh, four years old, my father won a prize uh, for one of his plays. 
um, it was the Ariane Mushkin Prize, and she's a famous theater director in France. And uh, the prize was to go on tour with her um, as a, you know, like in music, we have a support, you know, a, you know. So my father's play was kind of right. uh, <laughs> uh, being presented first. The, 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 the support act, yeah. Yeah, he was the support act. And then she would be presenting her play. And they went on tour like that. And uh, at four years old, I, we did a whole tour of Russia. And I remember it really well. And I, I was playing a small part in the, in the play, in my father's play. Um, I, I was the daughter of the king. And um, every night we had to do that little scene, you know, where I was carried in the arms of the queen running. And, and so I remember everything. I remember waiting backstage to go on. I remember anticipating the audience. Uh, I also remember not understanding why uh, I wasn't allowed on stage all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you still have that feeling now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I see, a, you know, friends perform, I'm like, why am I not on there? You know? <laughs> I, I get that sometimes as well. Standing side, as soon as you do get like a little, little yeah. image, wow, I'd, I'd love to be up there right now too. They, they look like that. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen Soviet Russia at that time. Do you, yeah. do you have any memories of the place at that time? Yeah, I was quite young, but I do remember uh, swimming in the, in the Red Sea. I, I, I do remember that when it was so salty that we were floating and there were a lot of... Um, uh, octopus, you know, um, I don't know how you say, um, Medusa. Yeah, octopus, yeah, yeah. Mm, and they were stinging me, <laughs> but I don't remember anything about, oh. you know, <laughs> now, like the atmosphere of the country. I remember the Moscow, I remember, uh, but I also, I, I mainly remembered the atmosphere of the troupe, you know, of the group on tour, you know, mm -hmm. and I was sort of sort of carried from arms to arms uh, and my parents were sort of far away in mixed in, amongst all these group of people this sounds quite hippie but you know what I mean it, it, it felt like I was raised by a group of people which uh, I think is uh, very good when you're a child it, it doesn't sound necessarily hippie to me it's, it sounds like something that existed for thousands of years which was the idea of like tr troops of performers touring and before, you know, like, interestingly, my, my background on, on my Greek side, uh, yeah. my, my father said they did the same thing. It was a troop of musicians who traveled all around Greece and up into really? Macedonia and that sort of thing. But I, I wonder if sometimes that sort of stuff stays in your blood. Like, like it, it must have had an impact on you, though, touring like that. Did, did you feel, mm -hmm. do you feel that being on tour is natural for you? <laughs> it's almost like being at home because you had that experience in, at such a formative time in your life. Well, I mean, as much as you, as you know, you love touring and you enjoy it, and it's also, but it's also very tiring and demanding. I mean, it, it has. Um, it's almost like when you're not on tour, you want to be on tour, and after a while, you're on tour, you kind of want a break. <laughs> it's kind of a. Uh, uh, 
God, so yes, I know exactly what you mean. It, it's interesting, like how you were describing that. It's like having a sense of community, the way you were cared for as a child. And, and I always feel that when touring is at its best, is when there does feel like a sense of community, like when whether it's with you with a band with your crew as well. And and sometimes you, you do feel like, like a band of pirates going around, like pillaging the rest of the world, something like that. But when you've got that sense of community, it, it can be very, very, very exciting. What was your first experience as a performer? Was it on the stage acting or was it as a musician? Which came first for you? It was acting because um, my father was a feared, uh, I mean, he was a drama school teacher. Uh, and and I was a student from a very early age, uh, maybe from the age of ten or you know, and I always had um, you know I'd say that I always had a talent for it, and I'm not saying that because I want to say that I am uh, talented. What I want to say is is that I always had something natural with it, with the idea of acting or being on stage, but very early on and that's what my teacher taught me early on is that talent is not enough (laughs) (laughs) right it's like so what else what else do you need well it's just that people who don't have the talent or the connection with it early on can have end up having really long and amazing careers if they work really hard and if you have a talent very early on when you're young it can sometimes be um, misgiving because it feels like it's easy and but if you don't work it then you will not have a long and lasting career with it and that's something that my father told me really really early on there was one instance where we did this play um, with an audience and I was probably around 13 and my I did I remember doing a Moliere scene and, and the whole crowd was laughing at my scene. Like everyone was pissing themselves laughing. And I didn't expect that at all. And it, I wasn't trying to make them laugh. And then I was so shocked by it. And then we were doing a second show a week after. And then then I worked really, you know, I, I was thinking, oh, that could be funny if we did that. Oh, I could add a song in the middle. So I completely changed the whole thing. And then nobody laughed. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, my dad came to me. So I was really disappointed and sort of, you know, shocked thinking, why? What's happened? And and he said, well, you can't make people laugh if you're trying too hard. You know, you you can't be aware that you're funny or like sort of wink at the audience and be like, hey, look, this is funny. No. You can't, you, you, can't, you can't instruct the audience to laugh. You have to make them no. laugh. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, you have to be, because sometimes you want to play someone really sad and it's hilarious, you know. And so all these nuances of stage and acting, it's, I remember that was the first things I learned. But when I started Savages, I, I there was a lot of um, these ideas about theatre and stage that... Um, that I could share with Gemma, I remember the, the guitarist and um, all these ideas about how we would light the stage. And one of our first shows at the forum, I remember we used um, a theater lighting uh, person uh, and we, ne- we never wanted moving lights. We never wanted color. <laughs> we, we always wanted to create sort of shapes and, and sharp lines and everything had to be white. And that was something 
coming from theater, I think. It's true, isn't it? Like, like uh, rock concert lighting and theater lighting are very, very different disciplines. <laughs> like, like, like completely it's interesting as well. Like, you, you're talking about this theatrical background. It reminds me of a, a little bit of Bowie and like, like what, what he went through. And like, right. and it's, it's almost as if he had many mediums open to him and the one that he chose was music. And when, as a performer, his persona on stage or personas on stage were very much informed from his acting background and the mind background. Is that something similar for you? Do, do you feel that when you came to perform on stage, you ad adopted a persona in the way that, that Bowie would do? Yes. I think that there's this idea of the persona of the character of a silhouette more than anything else. That's interesting. That's interesting because a silhouette seems like something that doesn't have a depth to it, which is actually a very powerful thing on stage because it's you don't have time. Yes, you know, it has to be immediate. Like it has to like, yeah. we talked about that a little while ago and like how you amplify sort of like elements of your personality and exaggerate them on stage. Is that something that, that you do or? Yeah, yeah. And I think you do it too. I can see it because I love you as a performer and I, and I had the joy to see you perform recently again. Uh, when you came on my show in Paris on Echoes. And um, what I love, it's always a masterclass to see you perform. <laughs> because, no, because it, it, you have this thing where uh, you, you understand shapes, you know, and you understand body shapes and how, you know, you can, you know, pull your body, change your shoulder. It's about understanding space as well and um, how you occupy the space. And what do you do when you don't sing? I mean, I don't know, you know, if you have a thought. Yes, you have to do something visual, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you not find it comes instinctively after a while as well? You just find yourself doing yes. it without even... There's consideration beforehand, but when it comes to performance, it, it comes almost without using the conscious part of your brain. It's, it's, it's like an instinctive animal part of you that does it in the end. Yeah, you have to stop thinking. I remember very well in Savage's time, I was rehearsing... When we were rehearsing um, and, you know, the, the girls were like trying, oh, what do I do on the guitar here? What do I do on the bass? And, and I was thinking, because all my lyrics were written when I worked in rehearsals, I kind of worked out already what the lyrics were going to be. But all I was thinking is like, what do I do between uh, this line and this line? <laughs> yes. and, uh, how do I hold the mic and what, what feels natural? And sometimes I would close my eyes and think about that and, and it was obsessing to me. And so, but then when you go on stage, it has to, you have to stop thinking. Otherwise, it's uh, almost painful to be on stage and be in your own head. It's, it's the worst. It, it, it's interesting you said that because I think you do have to have those moments of consideration. And it also comes from what you're talking about. There comes from an understanding of your role as a performer is not just being a singer, but a, a visual performer as well. Because, because one, when we're on stage, we're making a spectacle. We're making something to look at as well yeah. as something to listen to. And occasionally I, I do, you can always tell the singers who haven't considered that because, um, well, they're boring look at. <laughs> Um, but it's it's interesting talking talk about personas, like because, because um, when sometimes when I see you on stage, and I think 
I think of the you I know off stage, they feel like very, very different person, very different people. Like the, the Jenny Beth on stage is quite a terrifying character in many ways. You know, like, not terrifying, intimidating, intimidating. Well, yes. And I, I think we all are a multiplicity of characters. I think even on stage, I have different sides. I think I can crack a joke easily uh, with the audience and then, and then go back and terrorize them. I was, I was talking, I was talking about that with, um, Josh Homey, you know, from Queens of the Story. Yeah. We were texting each other recently and I, I was telling him how good it felt to be back on stage after, you know, all the period of COVID and, and I wasn't, all my tour got canceled around my album, To Love Is To Live. And, and I was telling him, uh, that we were playing Queens of the Stone Age backstage before going on stage. And that was a great warm up. And I was sending him a video of that. And he said something about the way he loved how, you know, he, uh, like he would say, go and terrorize the kids, you know, uh, <laughs> scare, scare them out. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'll scare them. And then I give them love. And then he said, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the scariest shit. <laughs> that's, the most, that's what would scare them off. You know, this, this, this seems like a very healthy sadomasochistic relationship you have with the audience. <laughs> I don't know. I think, you know, I, I, I grew up being influenced by Nick Cave, by, you know, even Josh. I mean, uh, as a performer can be quite scary. Um, there's, um, yeah, I think there's, there's an element of drama. I think I like, which is expressed in the music and which I like to, to, which, I, which suits my my way of singing which suits you know um but there's also a lot of dancing there's also i can talk to the audience make them laugh you know um so what i like is contrast you know being able to go um to surprise people i hate the idea of people being bored uh at a at a show so i i keep thinking of a way to surprise them, to, to change the energy, to create, um, gaps and, and, um, and like a roller coaster. I think I write the records the same way as well. I would hate the idea of a record as sort of unified, but I, at the same time I listen to those kinds of records. Maybe, maybe it's just a fear in me, you know, to, to be afraid to be bored or to bore people. I don't know. That's very interesting. I, I do always feel that your, your, your records and your writing does have quite extreme contrasts at time. Like, um, yeah. I, 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 on, on your last solo record, uh, to love is to live, we were talking about the French countryside earlier and you have this, this song like French countryside, which is such a tender to me, a very vulnerable song, uh, very beautiful. But if you compare this with I'm the man, you know, like <laughs> That song is brutal. It's really, really, yeah. really violent. Is that the kind of contrast that you like to bring in there? Well, I'm the man is not supposed to be nice. It's, it's supposed to sound like an assault. I think uh, it was produced by Atticus Ross uh, in LA, um, the, the producer for Nine Inch Nails, who's been working with Trent Reznor for a long time. And we were having this discussion of about I'm the man and I was not sure at some point put it on the record I was we were discussing it and then 
he sort of saved it because he he, he really believed in the song and he, he, you know, he was saying those words, like it's supposed to sound like an assault. And he said, I think for a woman to sing, I'm the man in, in our times with such anger, <laughs> it's very necessary to hear that. And I was like, okay, um, I wrote, I'm the man. I've never said that really because at the time, because I didn't want it to be, you know, sort of a sticker on the song, but I wrote it the day after Trump was elected uh, oh. because, um, because I felt that um, we were, I felt responsible for the evil of that man. I felt that he's human, I'm human. How could you I've feel responsible? We're part of the yeah. same human race. And I always feel that the more freedom I take, the more on the other side of the planet, someone else is buying a gun. You know what I mean? It's almost like it's doing that and opposites sort of go in opposite ways. And, um, and the fact that that man exists, um, it's, it's, he's part of the human race. I am part of the human race and I am that man, you know? I am, you, you know what I mean? I don't know. I, 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 I find that hard to get my head around. Like, like I, I just, just because, yeah, we're, we're all humans. But I, other than that, I don't see any connection with that monster. <laughs> I can't even call him a man, you know? <laughs> like, but I find that fascinating that you do. So when you're doing that, are you trying to understand what he was? You know, there's a, there's a line that has been drawn about good and evil. And we stand sometimes on the, on the right think you know, we stand on one side and thinking we're on the right side, but that's exactly what they do. You know, that's exactly what they think as well. They think they're on the right side. And I think I'm on the right side. And that's, course, yeah. and, and there's, and there's, um, the whole record. And I know it's not an idea that I want, I'm not trying to sell that idea. You know, I'm just saying that I, I was at the time there were there was these ideas going through me about the fact that I was not perfect and I were, and and that human beings are not perfect and I'm not talking about Trump here but I'm talking about me I'm just thinking I, I make mistakes and we make mistakes and there's no living without being wrong and 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 sometimes it is hard to just uh, be standing one side thinking you're you're right you know. Um, but I, it's it's a bit complex, isn't it? <laughs> it, it? It does sound very difficult, but I, I, I love the idea that you address the flaws in your own character by comparing yourself with one of the most flawed people in modern history has produced. <laughs> it's interesting, though, like, it, it's, it's, I, I love hearing the story of an inspiration for a song, particularly when it contrasts with your what your perception of it might be as a listener, because I would yeah. never have come to that conclusion. When I would, it doesn't like, matter, though. Oh no, of course not. Of course not. Because when, once no. you put on out into the world, it doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs yeah. to the people who interpret it. But when I was yeah. listening to it, I, I, I was I was wondering with whether you were subverting what the idea of being a man is and also well, yeah. Yeah. And and also the idea of being a f this phrase which is kind of like on everybody's lips when describing a band, a front man. And people say front like or you say front person or front woman, but like front man seems to be the the go-to expression. It just seems to become the word. And I wondered if you were subverting that idea or whether you were playing with that perception of what it is to, yeah. to lead a rock band or to or to perform <laughs> on stage. Is is that something that yeah, exactly. But I think also because 
also because being a front man or a front woman, uh, I felt a lot of guilt associated with it. And, uh, and I, that's why the records, my record is a lot about Catholic guilt as well. It's the idea of catching the light, you know, and, and, and it's not good for the ego. And, it, 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 and I know this is my job and I do it the best I can, but I also know that there are downfalls to doing it, you know, and you need to get your head really straight about things and, and be careful because uh, the spotlights is not good for your ego and you can easily become an asshole, you know. Oh, it's, it's very unhealthy, very, very unhealthy for you, man. <laughs> But I, I think for the, yeah. because, of the, because of the extremes, I, th I think it's extremes of uh, isolation and overload of human connection. When you're on stage and the way you perform, definitely this is the case. You have like such a strong and intense connection with thousands of people. Then when you walk off stage, you're very, very isolated. And that will give you you know, these peaks and troughs. You were talking about roller coasters earlier. It's, it's that kind of thing. And did you find that affects your mental health yourself? Absolutely. I stopped Savages because of my mental health, because I was not, I wasn't really happy uh, anymore. And I had left my home country when I was 20 years old. I didn't really look back. I had zero connection with where I was from or, or my family. Um, I was really uprooted. I was really um, sort of floating up in the air. And, and I was almost, you know, I was extremely happy about the artistic outputs, uh, but it was to the detriment of my, my sanity. Um, and what you describe the up and downs is, is really true. When I, when I stopped Savages and I started making my record and then so I wasn't touring. I mean, I did tour with Gorillaz. I did some touring, but it, it was more relaxing because it was, it was not my own project. And then, and then I was ready to go on tour and then COVID happened. So for a period of three to four years, let's say three years, I, I couldn't be on stage. And it was the first time it was happening to me for over a decade. And, and I, I, I was, I was in therapy. And I, I really realized how much, how much I missed it, how much it was a drug, a drug, but how much also I needed to be someone without it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Because otherwise, otherwise it would just be an addiction and, and, and I need to be able to be off it, you know, and, and to be fine. Um, to be off that that drug of having an audience and having you know it's such a privilege and 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 I always remember that sentence that my friend Joe from Idol says or said to me I think he says it often but he said once to me the universe doesn't owe you shit <laughs> mm. uh, like it's a privilege everything you know you're only on stage because people allow you to express yourself so yeah. you you know you owe them something you you know it's 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 um it's thanks to them and the universe doesn't owe you anything it's it's interesting you saying that like like you you were going back to france at that period where you felt i i'm guessing you say you, you felt vulnerable your mental health wasn't so good after savages yeah. do you f find that going back to france has helped you root yourself more in your identity your sense of who you are yeah. is, it, is it healthy being back in france 
man, I was speaking in French with an English accent. That was <laughs> that's insane. The most embarrassing thing ever. I, you know, I'm born and raised in France. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yes, but still, I have a tiny bit. I mean, it happens to people who leave abroad for a while and they adopt it a whole new language and then they come back and, you know, the language is, seems to be lost. So you left it off where you, you know, I was 20 years old when I left. So my language has yes. really evolved and, and I lost some words. And, um, so yes. And also because before therapy, I wasn't able to talk about my parents in an interview, for instance, uh, I wasn't able to talk about where I was from because I felt that, um, I wanted to completely reinvent myself. I changed my name. I, you know, I felt I was looking for freedom in the sense of freedom, no roots, no attachments, no, no past, no. And because I felt that's the, the only way I can become someone. And then I think, you know, came my thirties and then I felt it was time to just maybe put everything back together, you know. Ah, do, do you feel... It's 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 interesting. Um, I, I I've got a couple of friends who were turning thirty recently, and uh, we were talking about because it it's it's quite a big transition in your life going into your thirties. Mm. And I I felt that going into my thirties was like a like a release from the anxieties of my twenties. Did 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 you, did you feel anything similar? Or? I would definitely not go back to twenty. That's right. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, it's funny. I, I was reading another thing recently. Uh, uh, so apparently, um, in the world of opera, uh, it's considered that female opera singers don't reach their full maturity until the age of thirty-three. Of the voice. Of the voice. Yes. That's right. Do, do, do you do find that your do you find that your voice has changed over the years? I know mine definitely has. Do you feel really? your voice? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Way? Yeah. My, my voice has, I, I, there's more range to my voice now. Maybe it's just because I've practiced more, but I feel there's more. I don't know if this, this is a weird thing to say, but there's more of me in my voice now than I had when, say, when I was 20, when I first was in a band or whatever. And maybe it's because I hadn't discovered how to put me into my voice yet. You know? That sounds amazing. I really like that idea. I, I really like that idea because I think when you start singing, you imitate someone. At first. Yes, yes. Your favorite singer or, and then maybe, yeah, maybe as you get older, well, you have more of a palette as well. You know what I mean? Like more options because you've, you've trained, you have more technique. So in a way, the technicity brings you more freedom to just be, you know. Yes, I guess there's the experience. It's funny, isn't it? Because like when people talk about authors, they'll always talk about like how an author's work, early work is often the period in which they're trying to find their voice. And, yeah. and that's what we literally do as singers, as performers. Well, we, we, we find our voice. And, yeah, and absolutely. Can, can you think of the time when you found your voice? Because when I think of you singing yeah. John Jen, for example, your voice was yeah. different then from yeah. what became in Savages. We, we, yeah. Do you think you found your voice or you're always trying to find a new voice? Singing was very, very difficult for me uh, from a very early age when I started singing. I started singing when I was eight years old, uh, jazz standards, and it was oh. easy then. It was, I, was, I had a really quiet voice, like Chet Becker. Um, oh. And then 
And then I discovered opera. I had some like opera courses, like, and then I discovered I had a massive voice. That, That's that incredible. Be, yeah. And then, and then when I started doing John and Jen, it was always um, traumatic for me to record myself to, uh, I never liked it. I never, you know, I, and I always struggled to find the, to relax and to find uh, the integrity in my voice. I never felt my voice was really me, like you said. And in Savages, I solved all that issue, those issues. I was not more myself, I think. It's just that I found, I did sort of a mash of different voices I liked. I remember taking Scotty from um, British Sea Power. I remember taking um, Verity from uh, Electrolane. Oh, I remember brilliant references, yeah. Alex Capranus. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of him, mate. <laughs> <laughs> because I toured with you, so I think. Yeah, yeah, of course, that's right, yeah, yeah. You were in me as well. Um, and, you know, different kind of singers like that. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else, but... Um, and, and mix them together. And, and so uh, the beginning Savages was that. It was a mix of all the, my favorite singers. And then now I don't even think of a different thing. You know, when I sing, when I did To Love Is To Live, I wasn't thinking of a singer in particular. I think I was more thinking of what the, you know, what the, the song needs or like, not more technically, but a little bit though, like, um, you know, uh, uh, I think when you're now I'm in the studio behind the mic, I try to find the right tone, the right persona as well, the right, uh, and like we try different things and, and it's sometimes it's a vibration you're looking for that will make it, your voice stick with the music. You know. Definitely, it's it's understanding what it is you're trying to uh, convey, and and the the reaction that you're you're getting from the people. Maybe we talked about this this when when we were on the Echoes show, which I want to talk more about in a minute. So I, I must come back to that. But we were uh, we were talking about. Um, I think I brought up our friend Philippe uh, Philippe Zadar. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he gave me the uh, the Hitchcock Truffaut book a, a while ago when when we were working yeah. together. And uh, that book is fascinating because uh, they talk about technique so much. So the book, mm. they're, both, they're both obsessed with technique. But when you hear Hitchcock talking about all these techniques that Truffaut wants to find out about, like, like how did you do the, the zoom out uh, trolley in mm-hmm. shot for, for Vertigo, etc. Uh, whenever Hitchcock talks about them, he's, he never talks about them in purely terms of technique always couches it in the effect he is looking to have upon the viewer as they are experiencing it. And there's never use of technique in its own right, but it's understanding what it is to be conveyed and what it is that the impact that you're going to have as a performer. And maybe that's what happens to us, like you're talking about, where we get to that point where we understand all that stuff and then we understand, it, it just comes out then, it, it, what we want. Yeah, to and I think, you start to create interesting art, I think, when you're liberated from the affects, you know. I don't know if you said that, les affects in French, which means the, les affects is everything about feelings, you know. It, it, it has to come, it has to make you feel something. I'm not saying you can't be connected with your music. You have to, you know, like it or it has to move you before anybody else. 
but but it is not a judgment that you're putting into your music about connecting to those feelings you know i don't know like it, 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 it sometimes you do a take and you're like I was completely lost when I did that take. I had no idea what I was doing. And that's going to be the best take you've ever done. So sometimes the feeling and, and the output and the result is not exactly what you thought it would be. You know, it's always that distance with your work that you do something and then you have to leave a moment for the work to speak back to you. So you to have that distance with it and be able to, to judge it objectively and not just about, um, Oh, I, you know, I didn't feel great when I was recording it. And, you know, then I disregard it. Or um, uh, so, and about the intention of communication. I think music, because as you say, music is communication. Music is about connecting to other people. It's passing on the feelings. And as singers, we we we're like mediums. Like we with with them, we're passing on something. Um, and then and. And you have to think of that person you're addressing to. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Do, you, do you consider the, 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 the listener as you're performing? Did you picture the person who's listening? Or, or do you feel sometimes like you're just putting it into the void? It's just something that has to come out of you. Both. I think although when I was working with Atticus Ross, for instance, it was really interesting before we did any work, he would asked me, you know, we would write each other's long emails and he would ask me, what do you want to achieve with this record? Where do you see this record in the, in the current musical landscape? Um, you know, where do you want to go from Savages to your sort of career? Is your sort of career in between Savages record? Is it something you want to pursue furthermore? Is it all these questions which will then decide what music you're going to do? Because it depends where is this music going? You know, I think Brian, you know, as a producer also asks those kind of questions to the artists. It's very important, I think. A good producer is, is someone who makes you think about those things and takes you out of your ego. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and a good producer never talks about technique really either. Uh, we, we, <laughs> we, worked with Stuart, we, we worked with Stuart Price recently and, and he was great. He just wanted to know immediately, like, what's the song about? What's it supposed to make you feel like? Uh, mm. uh, what, what 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 rooms do you want to conjure when you listen to it? What's the location? H how are people going to be dressed as a listener? You know, like all these sort of things. Like, like, I like that. More, more abstract imagery, right? And he said, as for the technique, we just have to presume that we know that stuff. Let's not get bored talking about that. Who cares about that stuff? You just yeah. know it. You know, like, like it's like it's like knowing how to turn on your computer. Like, who cares? Not that we did that particularly well before the interview today, but. Um, <laughs> Can we come back to talk about echoes? Um, uh, sure. As you mentioned earlier, uh, uh, you, you invited my band to come on and play for it earlier, and I watched the footage back. It looks absolutely astonishing. Was was, was that um, was that visual aesthetic? Did that come from you and Johnny Hostile? So, Echoes is a TV show I started. I'm presenting basically in France, and it started in 2020. Um, then we had some issues with COVID to get some international acts coming in to do it and now we're starting again to shoot more um it's always a joy to do it but the stage i agree with you like i'm uh, the stage is um it's uh 
it's 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 at a, the yo-yo so it's a club in paris underneath valley de tokyo so the place is quite brutalist um yes uh, but we we change it and uh we worked with our friend designer called antoine carlier who designed the whole stage and the lighting um it's like neon lights and it has all this particular sort of um it's very particular. You know, you're on Echoes uh, straight away. Um, it's uh, quite an iconic stage look for a TV show. And you're right. Everything, every band, every musician we put on there, um, it sublimes. I don't know why it sublimes the performance. It's it's uh, it it has this sort of magical sort of uh, bec- you know effect um and and i think it's because there's a lot of tension put to it it's done with a lot of taste i'm saying that because it's his taste and i think he has excellent taste and it's made by a designer you know and it's this sort of um uh the whole tv show was built around the love for artists and for musicians and for the care that we need to put in for them to be uh performing the best they can for the music to be the best it can be and 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 I think on TV it's really lacking. You know, it always feels very industrial or you know industrial industrious. I don't know or like uh, yeah, it, 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 fast and it, yes, yeah, yeah. It it, it feels like uh, no consideration. Sort of thing. It's been made for everybody apart from the musicians themselves. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yes. you know like every show, is, musicians come at the last three minutes. And yes. Yeah. 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 A minute and a half. Yeah. Yes. Right. Go. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. 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 Get ready and action. Go. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. It, it's it, it's funny, like, because um, when when we played at that show, it felt very very different from a TV show. Most TV shows that you play, because Good. it felt more <laughs> it felt more like playing a gig. You know, yeah. like before, I mean, having an audience there obviously makes a difference. But some, it's it's interesting that we were talking about earlier on, like singing to avoid versus singing to uh, performing to a, a listener. So often, when you do a TV show, and you must have experienced this many times, you are literally just singing to avoid with some cameras in it, Absolutely. and there's there's nothing there's nothing to feed back off. There's nothing to because the energy that's created at a performance is usually this kind of like feedback loop of energy that bounces off the audience back to the performer, back and forth again and again. And I'm happy to see you caught that in the show. Uh, it's, it's first time I different. did TV shows was in. Um... Well, we did Jules Holland, I remember, but uh, in America, I remember doing um, Jimmy Fallon. And oh, yeah. We even did the Ellen show, which was massive. And you're performing to in front of millions of, you know, spectators. or and But they're not there. And it, it's the most confusing thing. I, I remember being really having massive nerves before going on because... You only have one shot. It's live and direct. Yeah. You make one yeah. mistake. Millions of people will see it and it will be recorded for life. It's, it's, it's really stressful. <laughs> it's quite intimidating, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, but it, you're right. It's, it's, it's that understanding of the, the enormity of the audience, but it, yet it's completely abstracted Absolutely. at the same yeah. time. You know, and yeah. I, I think that having like the feeling of an immediacy of a real audience in, in mm. It allows you to forget that. It allows you to forget the abstract audience and to like just deal with the real audience which is in front of you. So- My solution for that is always to think I'm talking to one person. Ah, okay. Do you do that on stage? Do you, do you, yeah. do you pick out particular people on stage? No, not even pick out. 
not even pick out. I just think if I have to speak to 20,000 people, uh-huh. I will do exactly the same as when I speak to one person. Right, right. Just imagine they're just one person and then okay. say, hi, hello, how are you doing? <laughs> you know? I often find that when you perform, you, you know, when you get sort of like at festivals or whatever, where you have an audience where you can't pick out individual faces anymore. Yeah. Do you ever feel that the, the audience makes this kind of transition from being a set of individuals to becoming one mass individual? Yeah. And, and, and there's this character that suddenly forms from the collection, the collective of all of these yeah. personas, and you find yourself addressing that mass persona. Do, do you find that? Or is, yeah, exactly. That but that, that's exactly what you mean. Sorry, that's what you're saying. It's exactly what I, what I was uh, saying as well. It's, it's, it's what I mean. It's like it becomes yes. one thing. Otherwise, it's too complicated and overwhelming. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you what... always have to ask uh, yes and no questions. All right. You know, what was your favorite band at the festival? <laughs> no how, did, how did you travel here? Like, where, where have you all come from? You have to look yeah. At, no. But, but, but at the same time, it can be really fun to pick out one particular person and like yeah, correct absolutely. All, all your energy at oh. them. Because sometimes they th- you, you sometimes see them kind of like, like looking from side to side like, is this happening? Are, are, are they really looking at me? Because people believe that there's, there's, there's that false wall there. There's this kind of barrier between the performance. I guess because we're so used to consuming art via a screen. Mm-hmm. We feel that there's a screen between us and yeah. the artist. And, and do you find that when, when that happens live, you, you're kind of like directing something at people and they don't realize. They, can like, they, they think that they're yeah. invisible somehow. Like, like, and, and often, often they feel like... They can be, I remember opening for Radiohead um, mm. and their audience are real fans, you know, and they couldn't care less for some of them uh, about uh, a female punk band opening for Radiohead. I can imagine <laughs> they're quite partisan, yes. Yeah. But, you know, most of the crowd were amazing and, and I had loads of great feedback mm. from people who discovered that there, but, but the front row, you know, so it's, the people have been waiting since you know early afternoon, and 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 they yawn and they look at you. They're they're like so bored. Yeah. And they just but, want you to get off. But you know, part that's kind of exciting though, like because you want it's like right, <laughs> right. You you came here to eat me, and I I am gonna win you over. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna like make you enjoy, even though you've decided you're gonna hate this. I'm gonna make sure you enjoy it. Have you ever done Absolutely. that? Absolutely. I mean, I would. I always approach stage with a battle sort of uh, mindset. It's, right. You're going to your, to your battle. You're going to have to fight for what you, for your music. You know, um, you you have to you have to fight for your music. You have to. There's a, there's a, there's a. I think there's an amount in the job that we do, and that's why mentally it can be really hard. But it's almost like um, athletes. You know, I always yes. think of the same approach as athletes do and they have their coach and they have to push really hard they have to train really hard they have to be perfecting everything and, and making it you know the best it can be and i and you if you don't have that mindset that sort of ang- hunger hunger I, I was about to say anger but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of the same there's a crossover there, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, but I think you have to have that mindset but, where you want to, you know, you want to eat the world. You want to, you want to, 
you want to concur, you know, you want to, you want to make sure that, you know, it's a very competitive world and I, I, and, and definitely it's not because we artists that it doesn't exist. And I'm not saying, well, the music industry is a capitalist industry. That's for sure. You're easily forgotten. There's a real quick turnover. Uh, you're not off, you're not always given a second chance. Um, it's very cruel, you know, because there's a lot of, if you look at old posters from festivals and you know, the headliners, but there's like hundreds and hundreds of bands that you'd never heard of. And they were touring at the time and they were leaving off their music, but now they don't exist anymore. And only a tiny percent of the musicians will be remembered, you know, and so, but that kind of relaxes me in other, in other ways. When I think about it, I always think, well, does it really matter? Like, you know, there's not really a control over that. And I think what matters is that you, I don't know what matters. I don't know where I'm going with that sentence. <laughs> but, but it's, just, it's interesting what you're talking about there because this relates to what you were talking about earlier, which is the, the drive that you have as an artist. You know, like, like the, the, the hunger or the anger, like it's all part of the, the drive to actually be the artist. You know, you were saying earlier, your father said to you that it's not just good enough to have an aptitude for something or to have a talent, uh, but to want to be an artist as well. And I think really that is the essence of being an artist. And like, forget all the capitalist shit. We're talking about being an artist here. Yes. Like, uh, and, it, it, Absolutely. And, and this crosses over every medium, every art form as well. I, yeah. I think I, I remember reading about Francis Bacon and of course, Francis Bacon, he was part of that, uh, that Soho scene in the fifties where they would all, I mean, there was a very, very, uh, heavy drinking, uh, sort of fairly wild group. And they would all go out every night, get totally smashed, like, like into the small hours. But Francis Bacon every morning was in the studio at nine o'clock and he was working and his work was coming through. And I think that of course, his aptitude, his understanding, his creativity was a part of it, but it would have been nothing if it wasn't for his desire to be the artist, which dragged him into the studio think, in the morning. Um, everything is a test of how much you want to do it. Uh, and, and there's a really great Bukowski quote about that. Um, the idea that you can lose a lot of things. Uh, in your life because you're committing to being an artist. It could mean, you know, losing wives, relatives, you know, jobs, you know, but, uh, and you have to be happy and accept or not happy. You have to accept it. You have to, yeah, yeah. You have to understand that those, it's a real sacrifice, but I think it's because I think very early on, I understood that I couldn't have everything, you know, and, and that you can't. Uh, ask the world for everything and you have to make choices and choices mean a certain amount of sacrifice but I think freedom if we go back to that concept that I talked about early on this feels like a therapy session when you're going back to the <laughs> <laughs> and how did that make you feel yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. um freedom is um is is about um constraints as well it's a, it's you know it's not about being able to do whatever you feel like at each time it's uh, at all the time it's it's also about um accepting the 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 yeah the fact that you you can't have it <laughs> uh it's it's a supply it's applying constraint on yourself as well you know it's it's applying discipline 
Um, and Discipline, definitely. Yeah. I, I think in order to open yourself up to the freedom of being an artist, you need to have the discipline which allows you to do and that. And understand the sacrifices. Yes, yeah, and, and you can't have that freedom without the discipline. I know that um, you pursue a lot of sport as well. Like I, I know you mm -hmm. box. Do you find that the discipline that you that you find in, in, in that environment allows you to comes over into your work as an artist as well? Uh, completely, hundred percent. I mean, English boxing is an art, like you know, um, and what I'm learning with the the professional boxers who train me at my club in Paris. Um, is uh, knowledge and, and, and experiences that I take out for my work in, in music and, and my work in an industry as well, in, you know, and everything. It's a mental, I, I work my mental strength as much as my body. Uh, going on the ring, because I did a fight as well, um, uh, not a professional one, but uh, inter-club fights. Um, I've, I learned a lot about myself doing that. Um, I also don't drink alcohol. Mm. I also, you know, there's a lot of things that I, you know, I, I, I do that because I, I feel they're better for me, you know, and I, and they, and they all help the, 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 the music I want to do and the, the writing I want to do and everything in my life is directed towards mm. creation. The, the pursuit of being an artist. Do, do yeah. you, do you miss alcohol? Absolutely not. I oh, have never, I'm lucky that way though. Like I, I know it's not the same for everybody. Oh, it's, it's interesting. No, it's interesting because we were having dinner with some friends a little while ago and I had a glass yeah. of wine yeah. and you asked me if you could smell it and yeah. you, 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 you took it and you took like a, a really kind of like considered smell of the wine and that made me curious so like so is, is that just an appreciation of the scent of the yeah, wine but it's, it's, it, yeah. it smells amazing but it's like perfume it doesn't mean i want to drink it <laughs> I, I know a few folk in glasgow who would drink anything perfume and <laughs> so um jenny you have done some incredible collaborations over the years starting with johnny hostile savages uh atticus ross uh julian casablancas uh bob gillespie recently um do, 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 do you feel there are any more in the pipeline anything that's yeah oh, or, or or can you not see or or do, do you think it might just be a surprise mm. There's, yeah, there's a French artist I wanted to work with. Um, I don't know if, if that's going to happen. Um, but I, I, I don't, I love collaborations. Uh, with my new record, I collaborated with a young female producer who's called uh, Malvina Menier, who I hired originally for my tour uh, in 2020 as a keyboard player and backing singer and she's incredible she's got a training in classical music and she can read and write music but at the same time she has this sort of new computer producer school you know like sophie mm -hmm. or Arkan. she has this sort of organic electronic sort of uh producing abilities which are incredible and we get on really well and now she's on tour with me and johnny hostile on stage um and so i made my new record with her as a producer, um, I, 
I need people to create art. I think I, I except when I'm writing the lyrics or I'm writing mm-hmm. books or I'm writing, uh, I then then I'm alone and it's an, an, a very lonely work. But I, I'm not lonely in the sun. But you know, solitary, 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 solitary work. Um, but in terms of the music, it's a bit like the cinema. You know, it's I like the idea of a of a community or or at least a group of people coming together to write or to or to record or to. I feel I'm always in search of the best idea, and I'm not certain that me alone will have it, and it doesn't. Uh. So I think the work is more important than me being satisfied with my own experience or ideas. And of course, you, my ideas are, I care for some of them and I want to push them through. And, and that's how you learn as well. You know, oh, that idea wasn't as good as I thought it was. Or, or in the end, uh, maybe I should have done differently, but at least I did it and I learned from that. So that's something good to do. Mm. But I'm, always, I'm also in search of the best idea that can exist. So I don't really care where it comes from. Um, That's it. Yeah, because do, do you not find as well that you change, not you change, but like just having somebody else, even just in the room, yeah. it, brings some, it brings something else out of you. You think in a different but way they, and you respond in a different way. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. Oh my God. And sometimes it can start out good and end up bad as well. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, you, you and Johnny, like, obviously you and Johnny Hostile have like collaborated for, for so many, so many years now, but you also... You run uh, the Pop Noir label together. Are there any artists that are coming onto the label now that you'd want to tell yeah. us about? Anything that's exciting you? Yes. So we have uh, signed a new artist, French electronic artist called Serial. Uh, we released one track of him called Transform. Uh, he's an electronic producer, uh, really incredible, I think, but also very anonymous. And, you know, so we respect that. And, and, but he's the last video is available to watch and it's really incredible. I, I actually sang on one of his tracks for his upcoming EP. Uh, and we signed as well Malvina Menier, who the producer. Oh, yes. Yes. So she's going to release a, a next record on, on Pop Noir next year. Um, she's just finishing it at the moment and, uh, yeah. And we, we're, you know, it, the idea of the label was originally to release our own music. Um, and we're not, uh, you know, it's a label of artists. Uh, me and Johnny created it with, uh, with a designer called Antoine Carnier. And, um, so it's not run at the pace of a record label, you know, uh, with people uh, who are not artists, because <laughs> um, when we're on tour and doing our own thing, we don't have as much time. But uh, we also we associated the, the label with a film production in France called Walter Films. So they now run the label administratively. I mean, okay, so, all right. So they run the label, and, and that released a lot of work and heavy work from us, and that's been amazing. So that's why now we sign new artists because we have a better structure. It's been amazing talking to you. Uh, always fantastic to catch up. Uh, good Thank luck you. with everything that's coming up. All, all these different projects. Uh, I'm, I'm stunned mm-hmm. how much you have going on right now. It's very. But, <laughs> I, I hope. In the meantime, you do get to enjoy some time in the French countryside as well. That, that, yeah, I'm going to go back to my painting now. Oh, <laughs> painting that, that, the walls. It's so pastoral. It's, it's, it's absolutely lovely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, have a great time. And I, I'm sure our paths will cross before too long. Thank you for yeah. taking the time to talk. 
I'll see you in, I'll see you in London or Paris. And thank you so much for having yeah. me. Always a pleasure chatting with you, really. Yeah, yeah. Good luck mm. with the show. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Cheers. All the best. Bye bye. Bye, Alex. Bye. That was Jenny Beth. Thanks for all the kind messages and comments about my show on Absolute Radio and about the podcast. I'm glad you're enjoying them. I'll be back next time picking the brains of another one of my favourite artists. Thank you.